You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Mary Hughes. October is National Children's Health Month, and on this episode of In-Depth, we'll be hearing conversations with Odyssey's David O'Leary and a couple of guest speakers from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We're joined today by Dr. Christine Moutier, who is the Chief Medical Officer for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. She has spent many years working to create awareness about mental health and suicide prevention among all different types of population, but we're going to focus on children for our time together. Dr. Moutier, great to see you again. You too, David. This is something that AFSP has been aware of, obviously, for some time. There's been recent data from the CDC, and I'm not even quite sure as of this, as we record this, if it's official data or if it's just sort of headlines that have been released about the data, but certainly there is a mental health crisis among children, among certain segments of the population, but children especially these days. And it's not necessarily just related to the pandemic in the last couple of years. Can you talk a little bit about where we are with children's mental health and suicide among youth? Our U.S. Surgeon General declared youth mental health in a state of emergency, essentially, and that was in the early part of the pandemic. But you're right that the crisis that we're in, and I'm calling it a crisis from a public health standpoint, just because of the prevalence and the level of suffering that is going on and the availability of resources, but he, he declared it a state of emergency while mental health experiences and suicide rates had been going up for a number of years before the pandemic began. But of course, it was then kind of brought to a head with everyone really becoming much more aware, more willing to talk about it with all of the changes going on with schools, with the social structure of how kids grow up and develop, how our brains develop in that stage of life, everything was kind of upended. Mm -hmm. And my own view is that mental health and suicide are very complex aspects of human health. And for children and youth, that's no different. But because they're developing, it can show up in some different ways that I think we as a society There's just a lot of room for putting into action what we're now talking about more and more. We understand that mental health is real. It's as important as physical health. But what does that look like when a child begins to kind of fall off their developmental trajectory in terms of their physical and mental health growth? So that's how I like to look at it with kids is they're on a trajectory of growth and change. And that maybe is what partly what makes it a little more challenging for us as parents and teachers and coaches. From where I sit, you know, it's almost easy to say in the, in the last couple of years, we've kind of just figured out how to talk about mental health and suicide in adults, you know, as a population in general. 
forget about the kids. We'll, we'll get there. You know, we're, we're trying to figure it out with kids, but it does seem like something that has uh, taken us a little while to kind of get right. And we're working on it and we've, we're getting there, but we haven't quite figured it out among youth just yet. Again, where I think we have room for improvement is putting into action true mental health literacy, meaning it's not just this idea, big words and topics, but it's what does it look like in my child or in my classroom? How does that play out? And what role do I have to play to not just address mental health problems when they arise, but even create an environment where kids are more likely to flourish and where we can actually prevent mm -hmm. the onset of mental health suffering to some degree. Not, of course, not completely, but like many aspects of health, there are things we can do to actually make a difference in terms of who becomes at risk for suicide. When that happens, are they available to access support and treatment and all of that? Let's talk about this partnership with the American Academy of Pediatrics, this blueprint for youth suicide, which was in development for some time. A couple of years ago, it became formal. Talk a little bit about that, what the idea behind that was, and maybe some of the specific interventions that that calls for. Yeah, it was very exciting for us at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to have the opportunity to hear from AAP, the, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Their members are pediatricians. So they are a group of, of individuals who are frontline with our youth frontline. every day, but aren't necessarily trained as part of their pediatrics training in mental health or suicide prevention. So AAP listened to their members that there was a dire need they felt from, from the pediatrician's standpoint, as well as the families. There are also, AAP also includes parent uh, and youth voices. And they wanted to really deepen their own toolbox, their sophistication with what they were offering to pediatricians around mental health and suicide prevention. And at AFSP, we were very excited to partner with them to develop, as you mentioned, the blueprint. It's a national blueprint for youth suicide prevention. And I love the way we went about it, even creating that blueprint, which was to include all voices. It was a very inclusive process convening, you know, about 150 groups and families, voices of lived experience, youth workers from all different sectors, from child welfare to the foster system mm -hmm. uh, to athletics, you know, all sides of it. So even though AAP is, you know, obviously a group of pediatricians coming from a clinical, clinically trained standpoint, they understood, as we do at AFSP, that this is a public health matter. And so that means you have to get everyone involved from families to community, faith organizations, schools, as well as the clinics. Mm -hmm. And all of that came together to develop this blueprint that was really drawn out of scientific discoveries that have yet to be put into action at a scalable level. And so that's the beautiful thing about this kind of work is that AAP cares about it, they prioritized it, and now made this available to pediatricians and anyone involved with youth, actually. So there is a section that is for clinicians that walks a pediatrician or any uh, health professional who works with youth through the steps to take in their clinic with regard to screening and what to do if a youth screens positive for suicide risk. All of those important clinical steps, safety planning, lethal means counseling, engaging the family, appropriate referrals to mental health, all of that. But then there's another section of the blueprint that focuses on everything outside a clinical setting. So that's in schools, faith organizations, family, Coaches. home settings, yeah, mm -hmm. the whole gamut. 
And you'd be amazed if you dig in and this blueprint lives on the AAP website. And it's like a, it's almost like a, an interactive experience. You really have to kind of click here and there and really to dig into the tips and the guidance. But it's not a pie in the sky sort of set of guidance. It's very much practical steps and how to do it uh, with links to more resources. You know, I love to hear you say, to talk about the data, and, and I know AFSP, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, to be a data-driven organization. And I guess it's good to hear that there's a data piece to this, going into how these clinicians are, you know, this is how they live their life is, is through procedures and data and, and so forth. Is there pushback or have you felt any sort of pushback from the medical community on this? We don't talk about that. That's not what we're here for. We're here for the body rather than the mind. Has there been pushback to that? I think we've gotten past that kind of overt attitude. I'm glad to hear. Um, <laughs> but where I'd say the more understandable pushback is happening is that this is not just on individual pediatricians to put into action. Anytime there's a, a change in you know, making any clinical issue a priority in a health system, there's a whole set of system change that needs to happen, policies and workflows. Mm-hmm. It's a team sport, uh, medicine is. So I think the barrier at this point in terms of really scaling this more widely is just that system change takes a very intentional investment of time and effort to bring a team to learn and to bring all the learnings back to their health system to put the changes into place. But I also think we don't need to, like there is that level that's really important, system change. But there's also the thing that every one of us, including a pediatrician in their office, can do that doesn't necessarily take more time, but it takes just paying attention Mm -hmm. and the engagement of being present in the moment and recognizing that the person in the room with me is suffering in some way and opening up that dialogue. So, you know, we talk about that a lot, as you well know, David, and you do such an amazing job of it as well, to just recognize that there's a way for all of us to be more present, more authentic, to take the risk in a way to talk about our own stuff, which signals to other people that it's safe. It's okay. It's normal to struggle. In fact, it's a sign of strength. If you're able to separate in a way your ego and any aspects that are very natural and understandable, like feeling shame, ashamed, those are human instincts. But the more we learn about mental health, the more we can kind of separate that out and realize if it were a physical health issue, it would be the smartest thing to address it in the most proactive way. And so we're learning how to do that with our mental health as well. I've long held that uh, our youth, you know, they're going to save us all, but they've they've long been much more able and open in in a free and open and honest way to talk about so many things that perhaps my generation, whatever that means to you as you're listening, but have trouble with. And so I think that's a real plus. In just the short time we have left, can you maybe talk quickly about some of those interventions or how to have that conversation if you're listening with your youth or a youth that you interact with in a safe and healthful way? How do you open up the conversation if you're concerned? I think the first thing to start with is don't wait for the concern or the crisis to be you know, presenting itself. In our everyday lives, we can make little shifts whether it's having dinner together or when you're driving in the car with your family members, 
take the time to get out of the business of the day and the rush rush and take the conversation to a bit of a deeper level. Your kids will do it actually all the time, but we don't always recognize that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, when they start talking about what's going on in their friend group or what an incident that happened out on the field, those are the things to tune into. They're letting you into their real internal experiences with their peer group. And so anyway, I think there's some tips to that, that even for me as a parent and as an expert, I've tripped up and (laughs) jumped into advice giving mode or like this should have happened. And then of course that shuts down the conversation. So the whole goal is active listening in those moments. And again, just creating that environment that feels safe and okay for people to share what's actually going on. We tried to raise our kids in the most non-judgmental environment around human suffering and mental health distress. And yet mm-hmm. human instincts are so strong and they pick it up elsewhere too. But even in the home, we're not perfect. So sure. just remember, you, you really do have to go out of your way to tell your child or your loved one that their well-being and they as a human being are the priority. Mm-hmm. Anything they're going through is understandable. There won't be judgment for it. We all face challenges, but we're a family and we're going to get through this. Anything they're going through together but then to really open up some space for them to talk about what's going on. And you have to do that with kind of open-ended questions. Or again, just if they're talking about whatever random thing, let that be a wide open thing. And realize you don't have to bring it to closure with a plan in that one conversation. I think we're so wired as problem solvers, and that can be a disservice. What we're trying to do in this process, in this moment, is signal to our child, or again, another family member, that we are able to handle them talking about their distress. We're joined by Victor Armstrong, who's the Vice President for Health Equity and, and Engagement for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Victor has for many years worked to uh, raise awareness about mental health and suicide prevention, particularly among demographics and historically underserved populations. And we're thrilled to uh, to talk to him. Hey, Vic, nice to see you. Hey, good to see you too. And, and don't sell yourself short. I know you are a huge advocate in this space as well. So it's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, it's important work, and uh, I, I love that more and more folks are paying attention these days and really thrilled that Odyssey is making the time available to kind of spread the word about the importance of mental health. There's been recent data from the, the CDC. We talked about it with uh, Dr. Christine Moutier a little earlier in the, in the program about mental health and suicidal behaviors among youth, and the news the recent news is unfortunately not not good. Can you talk a little bit about where we are with that and, and the attention being paid these days to mental health awareness for our youth? Yeah, there were uh, uh, several alarming facts, I think, that came out of the most recent data. One, we found that the suicide rate increased 8% for young people between the ages of 15 and 24, and that suicide remains the second leading cause of death for 10 to 34-year-olds in the United mm-hmm. States. So that, that alone was alarming. We also, though, have seen a disproportionate increase in black and brown communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really trying to target attention on those communities because in large part, our efforts uh, historically have not really focused on the nuances of race and culture and ethnicity. 
There's a campaign known as Seize the Awkward that has been underway for a couple of years. Basically, it is a partnership, a campaign of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the Jed Foundation in collaboration with the Ad Council and Droga 5. And it basically was put out there to kind of get youth talking a little bit more about mental health and suicide by sort of embracing that awkward moment that, you know, we all have, which sometimes can be awkward having that conversation. There is a spectacular new collaboration and partnership with uh, Megan The Stallion, who is speaking about her own mental health journey and, and working with Seize the Awkward. Talk a little bit about the, the partnership, how it came about and, and what you hope to accomplish with it. Yeah, we are extremely excited about this partnership. First of all, you know, to our uh, longtime partners, Jed Foundation and uh, the Ad Council, uh, we're always happy to be teaming with them. But this this partnership now involving uh, Megan The Stallion really has given us additional reach because Megan has loaned her talents to us on, on a pro bono basis to support a Seize the Awkward's campaign to really reach a, a younger audience. And, and Megan is someone who's known for keeping it real. She has a reputation for... Uh, being very honest both in her lyrics and in talking about her own challenges, mental health challenges. So we're excited to have this partnership. Let's listen to a little bit of it here. This is Megan the Stallion urging you to check in on your friends with CZ Awkward. I've always been told I gotta be strong. Thick skinned, stiff upper lip, tough as nails. But to be everything for everybody, It wears on you. Black don't crack, they say. But it can. I can. We all can. Y'all, it's okay to not be okay. Reach out to a friend if you see them going through it. No matter who you are, being vulnerable is what makes us whole. Learn how to help at SeizeTheAqua.org. Yeah, Megan Thee Stallion. I think that's just such an important message for anybody to hear, but especially you had noted some of the CDC data that that notes that uh, black and brown youth have elevated risk for suicide. Can you talk a little bit about why that may be and what this campaign hopes to do to, to change that? So in all honesty, we don't entirely know why the rates in black and brown communities are increasing. What we do know, though, is that we have not historically talked about suicide in black and brown communities. And when we have, we've really talked about it in the context of it being something that didn't impact our communities. And uh, in Megan the Stallion's promo, she talks about her own personal experiences with, with mental health. And she, she uses a phrase uh, that they say, black don't crack, but it can. And that resonates with black and brown communities because that's one of the things that uh, we've always talked to our young people about. You're supposed to be resilient. And that you, you, it's almost like telling them you don't have the right to experience depression or anxiety. But we recognize that anyone can struggle with mental health challenges. And we also know that the experiences of racism and discrimination and cultural stigma can also impact the mental health and uh, well-being of Hispanic and Latina youth as well as black youth. So mm. there are those additional challenges into the, in, in addition to the things that we all face every day. Yeah. Talk about how we talk about mental health and suicide. You've been in this quite a while. It's different now than it was even five or 10 years ago. Yeah. We still have work to do, but we've come a, a long way. 
Yeah, we have come a long way. It's still a conversation that we're, um, as a, a nation, we're becoming more comfortable in, in talking about the conversation. We're talking about suicide prevention and awareness, but it's something that historically we have not been comfortable talking about. So part of what we try to do with this campaign, as with other campaigns, is to really normalize that conversation. That's part of the reason that we partner with someone like Megan the Stag. It's also the reason that we're utilizing he- uh, social media very heavily because we also realize that we need to meet uh, people where they are. And with this campaign, as we're targeting an audience of 15 to 24 year olds, we know that they're heavy users of uh, social media. And so part of what we're trying to do in normalizing the conversation is also normalizing the spaces where we can have these conversations. And then also utilizing uh, spokespersons that uh, people can identify with. It's, It's important that people see themselves in the message and making the stallion gives us an opportunity to provide that. I also think, I've sort of long believed that our youth are much better at having some of these conversations for a lot of different reasons than the old guard, you know, than than maybe the the next generation or the generation after that. And so, you know, maybe there's an advantage there in that they're just much more opening in speaking about mental health, LGBTQ issues, and and a host of other things than perhaps some of the older folks aren't. Yeah, I think there's truth in that. I think I think our younger generation is much more open to having these conversations. I think what we're also trying to do, though, as we normalize the conversation is also not paint a doom and gloom picture. We're not trying to send the message that the world is this really, really negative place. But we are what we are trying to help educate people about is that we all have challenges. We all have struggles. That doesn't make us flawed. It doesn't make us broken. It just makes us human. Mm. And the more we as humans can create this connection, the more likely we are to be able to increase hope uh, and save lives. Yeah. I know one of the watchwords that AFSP frequently puts out there is that there is hope, that you are not alone, and that it it is okay to, to not be okay to sort of normalize this conversation about our mental health the same way we talk about our physical health. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also important that we share the message that suicide does not discriminate. Suicide is not a problem that only pertains to one community or or one segment of the population. Suicide is something that we all need to be aware of. It's something that we all need to pay attention to. When I was growing up, it it was a belief in the black community and in, in the Latino community that we were not impacted by suicide. The data itself shows us now that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Even more scary, I think, is the data shows us that we're trending younger now in terms of suicidality. For someone listening who is concerned about someone, maybe a parent, maybe a coach, a faith leader, a school teacher, how, how do you begin that conversation? How, how does that conversation start when you when you want to reach out to someone who you may be concerned about? Yeah, I think the, the thing that I always try to stress to people is that you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a clinician to be concerned or to establish connection. Uh, if you are concerned about someone, uh, you just want to start the conversation. You just want to, if you're concerned that someone is thinking about killing themselves, we advise that you say very clearly, very calmly, very confidently, and you can say something like, other people who have gone through what you're going through have considered suicide. Are you thinking about killing yourself? You can simply ask someone, do you want to talk? You know, I see that, I see changes in your behavior. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to talk about what's going on? And I think the thing that we often fear is that if we ask someone if they're thinking about suicide, we're going to offend them. Or 
that were going to drive them to suicide if they weren't already considering it. And what research shows is that, first of all, when you ask someone in a caring way, if they're thinking about killing themselves, someone who may be suicidal feels that sense of connection mm-hmm. and oftentimes offers them space to begin to open up and talk about what they're going through. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is that you don't make someone suicidal by asking them if they're thinking about suicide. People are either suicidal or they're not. So you're not going to make them suicidal, but you may save their life by giving them space to open up and talk about their feelings. We have just a short time left. I should note, if you are struggling or caring for someone who is 988 is the number, dial that number and then you will be connected to help. Again, whether that's you that's struggling or whether that's someone that you're caring for and, and worried about. You know, we're talking about mental health awareness in youth. Is there an age that is uh, that's too young? I think oftentimes, some, sometimes that's the pushback. Geez, I don't want to bring that up to my kids. It's, you know, they're too young to know about things like that. Disabuse me of that notion if, if that's the case. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I know a lot of parents struggle with that. One of the things that I'll tell you, I just shared this statistic with the group I was speaking with recently, and that is when you look at suicide rates in the black community, suicide rates for children, 5 to 11 for black kids are mm-hmm. twice as high as suicide rates for white children. So there are very young children that consider suicide. Now, do they always understand exactly what it means when they talk about suicide? Perhaps not. But what I encourage parents to do is to keep very open lines of communication, to allow children to talk about and express whatever they're feeling, listen non-judgmentally. And if you get the sense that you're a young person, no matter how old they are, are thinking about suicide, don't be afraid to ask them. But you can also ask them, what does that mean to them? Mm-hmm. And then give them space to open up and talk about it. Uh, but I would not assume that because the child is younger that uh, they would not consider suicide. Victor Armstrong is the vice president for health equity and engagement for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. You can find out more about youth suicide and mental health in general at AFSP.org. Vic, great to see you. Safe travels. Thank you so much for being on the program and speaking with us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Our immense thanks to Victor Armstrong, Vice President of Health, Equity and Engagement with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for joining us for this vital conversation about our kids' mental health. You can find great resources at AFSP.org. That's AFSP.org. In addition, there are resources available at imlistening.org. And please remember, if you or someone you know is struggling and may be in crisis, please call or text 988. That's the short code for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. There are people there 24 hours a day to talk with you and connect you with help immediately. You are not alone, and it's okay to not be okay. And you can find this episode and past episodes of In-Depth online at kcbsradio.com. Just check the podcast tab and look for KCBS In-Depth. You can also hear the episodes on the Odyssey app. Download the app on your smartphone and favorite KCBS radio. Thanks for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Mary Hughes.
You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.